0: Introductory epistle part b for the monastery by walter scott this LibriVox recording is in the public domain introductory epistle part b in 5 minutes after this dialogue i found myself in the parlor of the george and in the presence of the stranger he was a grave personage about my own age which we shall call about 50 and really had as my friend david expressed it something in his face that inclined men to oblige and to serve him yet this expression of authority was not at all of the cast which i have seen in the countenance of a general of brigade neither was the stranger's dress at all martial it consisted of a uniform suit of iron-gray clothes cut in rather an old-fashioned form his legs were defended with strong leathern gambados which according to an antiquarian contrivance opened at the sides and were secured by steel clasps. His countenance was worn as much by toil and sorrow as by age, for it intimated that he had seen and endured much. His address was singularly pleasing and gentlemanlike, and the apology which he made for disturbing me at such an hour, and in such a manner, was so well and handsomely expressed that I could not reply otherwise than by declaring my willingness to be of service to him. "'I have been a traveller to-day, sir,' said he, "'and I would willingly defer the little I have to say till after supper, for which I feel rather more appetised than usual. We sate down to table, and notwithstanding the stranger's alleged appetite, as well as the gentle preparation of cheese and ale which I had already laid aboard, I really believe that I of the two did the greater honour to my friend David's fowl and minced collops.' When the cloth was removed, and we had each made a tumbler of negus, of that liquor which hosts call sherry, and guests call Lisbon, I perceived that the stranger seemed pensive, silent, and somewhat embarrassed, as if he had something to communicate which he knew not well how to introduce. To pave the way for him I spoke of the ancient ruins of the monastery and of their history, but to my great surprise I found I had met my match with a witness the stranger not only knew all that i could tell him but a great deal more and what was still more mortifying he was able by reference to dates charters and other evidence of fact that as burns says downaby disputed to correct many of the vague tales which i had adopted on loose and vulgar tradition as well as to confute more than one of my favourite theories on the subject of the old monks and their dwellings which i had sported freely in all the presumption of superior information and here i cannot but remark that much of the stranger's arguments and inductions rested upon the authority of mr deputy register of scotland footnote thomas thompson esq whose well-deserved panegyric ought to be found on another page than one written by an intimate friend of thirty years standing End footnote and his lucubrations, a gentleman whose indefatigable research into the national records is like to destroy my trade and that of all local antiquaries by substituting truth instead of legend and romance alas i would the learned gentleman did but know how difficult it is for us dealers in petty wares of antiquity to pluck from our memories a rooted legend raise out the written records of our brain or cleanse our bosoms of that perilous stuff and so forth it would i am sure move his pity to think how many old dogs he hath set to learn new tricks HOW MANY VENERABLE PARROTS HE HATH TAUGHT TO SING A NEW SONG, HOW MANY GRAY HEADS HE HATH ADDLED BY VAIN ATTEMPTS TO EXCHANGE THEIR OLD MUMPSIMUS FOR HIS NEW SUMPSIMUS. BUT LET IT PASS, HUMANA PERPESI sumus. ALL CHANGES ROUND US, PAST, PRESENT, AND TO COME. THAT WHICH WAS HISTORY YESTERDAY BECOMES fable TODAY, AND THE TRUTH OF TODAY IS HATCHED INTO A LIE BY TOMORROW finding myself to be overpowered in the monastery which i had hitherto regarded as my citadel i began like a skillful general to evacuate that place of defence and fight my way through the adjacent country i had recourse to my acquaintance with the families and antiquities of the neighbourhood ground on which i thought i might skirmish at large without its being possible for the stranger to meet me with advantage but i was mistaken the man in the iron-gray suit showed a much more minute knowledge of these particulars than I had the least pretension to. He could tell the very year in which the family of Dahaga first settled on their ancient barony. Footnote, the family of Dahaga, modernized into Hague, of Bemerside, is of the highest antiquity, and is the subject of one of the prophecies of Thomas the Rhymer, Betide, betide, whate'er betide, Hague shall be Hague, of Bemerside. Footnote. Not a thane within reach, but he knew his family and connections, how many of his ancestors had fallen by the sword of the English, how many in domestic brawl, and how many by the hand of the executioner for March treason. Their castles he was acquainted with from turret to foundation stone, and as for the miscellaneous antiquities scattered about the country, he knew every one of them, from a cromlech to a cairn and could give as good an account of each as if he had lived in the time of the Danes or Druids. I was now in the mortifying predicament of one who suddenly finds himself a scholar when he came to teach, and nothing was left for me but to pick up as much of his conversation as I could, for the benefit of the next company. I told, indeed, Alan Ramsay's story of the monk and Miller's wife, in order to retreat with some honour under a cover of parting volley. Here, however, my flank was again turned by the eternal stranger. You are pleased to be facetious, sir, said he, but you cannot be ignorant that the ludicrous incident you mentioned is the subject of a tale much older than that of Allan Ramsay. I nodded, unwilling to acknowledge my ignorance, though in fact I knew no more what he meant than did one of my friend David's post-horses. I do not allude, continued my omniscient companion, to the curious poem published by pinkerton from the maitland manuscript called the friars of berwick although it presents a very minute and amusing picture of scottish manners during the reign of james V, but rather to the italian novelist by whom so far as i know the story was first printed although unquestionably he first took his original from some ancient fablio footnote it is curious to remark at how little expense of invention's successive ages are content to receive amusement the same story which Ramsay and Dunbar have successively handled, forms also the subject of the modern farce, no song, no supper." "'It is not to be doubted,' answered I, not very well understanding, however, the proposition to which I gave such unqualified assent. "'Yet,' continued my companion, "'I question much, had you known my situation and profession, whether you would have pitched upon this precise anecdote for my amusement. This observation he made in a tone of perfect good-humour. I pricked up my ears at the hint, and answered as politely as I could that my ignorance of his condition and rank could be the only cause of my having stumbled on anything disagreeable, and that I was most willing to apologise for my unintentional offence, so soon as I should know wherein it consisted. "'Nay, no offence, sir,' he replied. Offence can only exist where it is taken. I have been too long accustomed to more severe and cruel misconstructions to be offended at a popular jest, though directed at my profession. Am I to understand, then, I answered, that I am speaking with a Catholic clergyman?' "'An unworthy monk of the Order of St. Benedict,' said the stranger, "'belonging to a community of your own countrymen, long established in France, and scattered unhappily by the events of the Revolution.' then said i you are a native scotchman and from this neighbourhood not so answered the monk i am a scotchman by extraction only and never was in this neighbourhood during my whole life never in this neighbourhood and yet so minutely acquainted with its history its traditions and even its external scenery you surprise me sir i replied it is not surprising he said that i should have that sort of local information when it is considered that my uncle an excellent man as well as a good scotchman the head also of our religious community employed much of his leisure in making me acquainted with these particulars and that i myself disgusted with what has been passing around me have for many years amused myself by digesting and arranging the various scraps of information which i derived from my worthy relative and other aged brethren of our order i presume sir said i though i would by no means intrude the question that you are now returned to scotland with a view to settle amongst your countrymen since the great political catastrophe of our time has reduced your core no sir replied the benedictine such is not my intention a european potentate who still cherishes the catholic faith has offered us a retreat within his dominions where a few of my scattered brethren are already assembled to pray to God for blessings on their protector and pardon to their enemies. No one, I believe, will be able to object to us under our new establishment that the extent of our revenues will be inconsistent with our vows of poverty and abstinence. But let us strive to be thankful to God that the snare of temporal abundance is removed from us." many of your convents abroad sir said i enjoyed very handsome incomes and yet allowing for times i question if any were better provided for than the monastery of this village it is said to have possessed nearly two thousand pounds in yearly money rent fourteen chalders and nine bowls of wheat fifty-six chalders five bowls barley forty-four chalders and ten bowls oats capons and poultry butter salt carriage and areage, peats and cane wool, and ale. "'Even too much of all these temporal goods, sir,' said my companion, which, though well intended by the pious donors, served only to make the establishment the envy and the prey of those by whom it was finally devoured. In the meanwhile, however, I observed, the monks had an easy life of it, and, as the old song goes, made good kale on Fridays when they fasted. I understand you sir said the benedictine it is difficult saith the proverb to carry a full cup without spilling unquestionably the wealth of the community as it endangered the safety of the establishment by exciting the cupidity of others was also in frequent instances a snare to the brethren themselves and yet we have seen the revenues of convents expended not only in acts of beneficence and hospitality to individuals but in works of general and permanent advantage to the world at large the noble folio collection of French historians, commenced in 1737, under the inspection and at the expense of the community of St. Maur, will long show that the revenues of the Benedictines were not always spent in self-indulgence, and that the members of that order did not uniformly slumber in sloth and indolence, when they had discharged the formal duties of their rule. As I knew nothing earthly at the time about the community of St. Maur and their learned labours, I could only return a mumbling assent to this proposition. I have since seen this noble work in the library of a distinguished family, and I must own I am ashamed to reflect that, in so wealthy a country as ours, a similar digest of our historians should not be undertaken, under the patronage of the noble and the learned, in rivalry of that which the Benedictines of Paris executed at the expense of their own conventual funds. "'I perceive,' said the ex-Benedictine, smiling, that your heretical prejudices are too strong to allow us poor brethren any merit, whether literary or spiritual.' "'Far from it, sir,' said I. I assure you that I have been much obliged to monks in my time. When I was quartered in a monastery in Flanders, in the campaign of 1793, I never lived more comfortably in my life. They were jolly fellows, the Flemish canons, and right sorry was I to leave my good quarters, and to know that my honest hosts— were to be at the mercy of the sans-culottes. But fortune de la guerre. The poor Benedictine looked down and was silent. I had unwittingly awakened a train of bitter reflections, or rather I had touched somewhat rudely upon a chord which seldom ceased to vibrate of itself. But he was too much accustomed to this sorrowful train of ideas to suffer it to overcome him. On my part I hastened to atone for my blunder. If there was any object of his journey to this country in which I could with propriety assist him, I begged to offer him my best services. I own I laid some little emphasis on the words with propriety, as I felt it would ill become me as a sound Protestant and a servant of government so far as my half-pay was concerned, to implicate myself in any recruiting which my companion might have undertaken in behalf of foreign seminaries, or in any similar design for the advancement of popery which whether the pope be actually of the old lady of babylon or no it did not become me in any manner to advance or countenance my new friend hastened to relieve my indecision i was about to request your assistance sir he said in a matter which cannot but interest you as an antiquary and a person of research but i assure you it relates entirely to events and persons removed to the distance of two centuries and a half I have experienced too much evil from the violent unsettlement of the country in which I was born, to be a rash labourer in the work of innovation in that of my ancestors." I again assured him of my willingness to assist him in anything that was not contrary to my allegiance or religion. "'My proposal,' he replied, "'affects neither. May God bless the reigning family in Britain. They are not, indeed, of that dynasty, to restore which my ancestors struggled and suffered in vain. But the Providence who has conducted His present Majesty to the throne, has given Him the virtues necessary to His time, firmness and intrepidity, a true love of His country, and an enlightened view of the dangers by which She is surrounded. For the religion of these realms I am contented to hope that the great power, whose mysterious dispensation has rent them from the bosom of the church, will in his own good time and manner restore them to its holy pale. The efforts of an individual, obscure and humble as myself, might well retard, but could never advance, a work so mighty. "'May I then inquire, sir,' said I, "'with what purpose you seek this country?' ere my companion replied, he took from his pocket a clasped paper-book, about the size of a regimental orderly book, full, as it seemed, of memoranda, and drawing one of the candles close to him—for David, as a strong proof of his respect for the stranger, had indulged us with two—he seemed to peruse the contents very earnestly. "'There is among the ruins of the western end of the Abbey Church,' said he, looking up to me, yet keeping the memorandum-book half open and occasionally glancing at it as if to refresh his memory a sort of recess or chapel beneath a broken arch and in the immediate vicinity of one of those shattered gothic columns which once supported the magnificent roof whose fall has now encumbered that part of the building with its ruins i think said i that i know whereabouts you are is there not in the side wall of the chapel or recess which you mention a large carved stone bearing a coat of arms, which no one hitherto has been able to decipher? "'You are right,' answered the Benedictine, and again consulting his memoranda, he added, "'The arms on the dexter side are those of Glendinning, being a cross parted by a cross indented and countercharged of the same, and on the sinister three spur rowels of those for Avenel. They are two ancient families. Now almost extinct in this country, the arms—' Paris i think said i there is no part of this ancient structure with which you are not as well acquainted as was the mason who built it but if your information be correct he who made out these bearings must have had better eyes than mine his eyes said the benedictine have long been closed in death probably when he inspected the monument it was in a more perfect state or he may have derived his information from the tradition of the place i assure you said i that no such tradition now exists i have made several reconnaissances among the old people in hopes to learn something of the armorial bearings but i never heard of such a circumstance it seems odd that you should have acquired it in a foreign land these trifling particulars he replied were formerly looked upon as more important and they were sanctified to the exiles who retained recollection of them because they related to a place dear, indeed, to memory, but which their eyes could never again behold. It is possible, in like manner, that on the Potomac or Susquehanna you may find traditions current concerning places in England which are utterly forgotten in the neighbourhood where they originated. But to my purpose. In this recess, marked by the armorial bearings, lies buried a treasure, and it is in order to remove it that I have undertaken my present journey. A treasure? in astonishment. Yes, replied the monk, an inestimable treasure, for those who know how to use it rightly. I own my ears did tingle a little at the word treasure, and that a handsome Tilbury, with a neat groom in blue and scarlet livery, having a smart cockade on his glazed hat, seemed as it were to glide across the room before gay eyes, while a voice, as of a crier, pronounced my ear, Captain Clutterbuck's Tilbury, drive up. BUT I RESISTED THE DEVIL, AND HE FLED FROM ME. I BELIEVE, SAID I, ALL HIDDEN TREASURE BELONGS EITHER TO THE KING OR TO THE LORD OF THE SOIL. AND AS I HAVE SERVED HIS MAJESTY, I CANNOT CONCERN MYSELF IN ANY ADVENTURE WHICH MAY HAVE AN END IN THE COURT OF Exchequer. THE TREASURE I SEEK, SAID THE STRANGER, SMILING, WILL NOT BE ENVIED BY PRINCES OR NOBLES. IT IS SIMPLY THE HEART OF AN UPRIGHT MAN. AH! I UNDERSTAND YOU, I ANSWERED. Some relic, forgotten in the confusion of the Reformation. I know the value which men of your persuasion put upon the bodies and limbs of saints. I have seen the three kings of Cologne End of Introductory Epistle Part B